This is Get a Real Job, the podcast devoted to people who choose risk over safe bets, who pursue their passion against all odds and are doing what they want, how they want, despite people and sometimes the voices in their own heads telling them they're nuts. When the field that I wanted to work in didn't exist, I created it. The only thing you have to decide is how hard you want to work. I really never went into the design of the restaurant of not succeeding. One way or another, I was going to succeed. I'm your host, Dan Bova, Editorial Director of Entrepreneur.com. Thanks for listening. And now, get a real job. Hey, everybody. So there is a 50-50 shot that today's guest is currently clinging for dear life to the side of a cliff 300 feet in the air. And he's doing this on purpose. He, he finds this fun. Ryan Devlin is the host of the Struggle Climbing Show podcast. He's a climber, an actor, an entrepreneur, humanitarian, a dad, probably a bunch of other things. Maybe he's a jerk. Who knows? Let's find out. Welcome, Ryan. <laughs> it depends on who you ask. Uh, <laughs> so far, so good, though, Dan. I appreciate the intro, and I'm I'm excited to be here, man. Yeah, no. Uh, so I I have been listening to your very great struggle climbing show podcast for quite a while now. I haven't say I I can't say that I've been climbing a lot, but I've been listening to you talk about climbing a lot. So I think that 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 counts for something, right? God, it's so much easier just to do that than to actually go out and, <laughs> and and cling to the side of a rock. But give yourself some credit. You're out there. You're trying hard. You're climbing. And uh, I really appreciate you listening. And that's been one of the joys of doing this podcast, which kind of started as this, this little wild idea. As my wife jokes, she, she said, you... You really took the longest, most grueling and expensive path possible to <laughs> find a way to go rock climbing with your heroes, but it worked. And then it's awesome to connect with the people who are listening like yourself. Well, that's great. And and I do want to talk to you about your path to where you are now, but I do want to tell people who are listening that even if you are not into climbing all that much or even at all, Ryan's interviews with these elite athletes he's he breaks them down into chapters and one of the chapters is is the mental game and there are so many parallels between the mental game of rock climbing to entrepreneurship to anything that you are attempting to doing in your life so i would really really recommend it it's just really inspiring and there's just like as i said there's so many parallels it's it's ridiculous yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And that's my favorite chapter as well. Of course, we cover training, nutrition, tactics, and then mental game is the last. And I saved that for last because it really is just through the lens of rock climbing. I think it's what sets the sport of rock climbing apart from many other just kind of feats of strength sports. There's, there's You're dealing with fear of falling or fear of failure and calming yourself in scary situations and also just the tactics around how to perform when... You only have one shot, these kinds of things. But also, as you said, and, and my background is entrepreneurial. I studied business in, in college and have started a handful of businesses. I find that the mental game chapter is immediately applicable to a lot of the things that I work on outside of climbing, including fear of failure, which is, you know, maybe one of the biggest and most universal kind of feelings that that people get whenever they put themselves out on the edge, whether it's literally on the edge of like a cliff or just on the edge of your comfort zone, because you're trying something, you're trying to start something new or meet new friends or take on new situations uh, or dating or any of these things. I think the mental game chapter has been 
a real joy for me to dive into with these pros and and some of them who are incredibly talented climbers, but also who are incredibly well-trained and gifted just on the kind of mindset mental game aspect. So yeah, I love those those chapters myself as well. Yeah. And I would say if you if you haven't listened yet, I think it's the last actually episode of your current season with uh Lore Saborium. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Lore Sabarin. Sabarin, yes. yeah. Incredible, incredible episode. But so so check that out. But let's talk about okay, so the most expensive pathway to following your dream. So how did this happen? How did this podcast is extremely popular? You've got like amazing guests all the time, but you get incredible amounts of listens and downloads and all that. You've got sponsorships, like you're you're doing this for real. So how did how did a, a love of climbing develop into a business? Yeah, it was well, my path to the point of starting the podcast it has been one where I've just decided to to follow a passion and just go for it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? I don't I'm not batting a thousand over here. But when I graduated from school, I went to Michigan State University. I decided rather than take a very nice job offer that I got, I wanted to try my hand at acting. So I packed up my mom's car that she gave to me and I headed out to LA and I put in some time as a bartender and then got my break as an actor and and then for a decade was a working actor and did, you know, I've played the murderer of the week on pretty much every show you've ever seen. Um, it's like in your intro, you know, maybe he's a jerk. Well, may- maybe I'm a murderer, uh, depending on where where you're seeing me, like on every CSI uh, ever made. I've, If you see my face come up on screen, you know I did it. Um, and, you know, that was a business that is very entrepreneurial. I mean, it's show business, right? And so you're out there, you're marketing yourself, you're really needing to take on a willingness to accept a high level of risk. And in doing that, I not only honed, I think, a, a little bit of entrepreneurial confidence, but I also honed my chops a bit for production. Mm-hmm. And of course, in television, it was television production. And so podcast is a bit different, but in many regards, a lot easier. So I make my struggle climbing shows in a utility closet in my basement <laughs> right. that I'm sitting in right now with, you can't tell because I've got some blankets hanging behind me, but it's <laughs> exposed pipes and that kind of thing. And so on the production side, it's it, the, it's a lower barrier to entry. And that's yeah. why I think a lot of people can and do do podcasts. I encourage anyone who's listening, whatever your passion is, you can put together a podcast. Like you've got enough power in your phone to be able to record, edit, and publish a podcast. And so... I decided to take a leap and and give it a you know a good go and fortunately was able to get some great athlete guests early on which helped to legitimize the podcast and then I just worked my tail off and so what I wanted when coming into this space is there was a lot of really good rock climbing podcasts out there but I wanted something with structure a lot yeah. of the uh, almost all of the climbing podcasts are just kind of open interview, you know, maybe a couple hours of people talking and they cover any number of things in those couple hours. And it's like, you're hanging out on the couch with these athletes, which I, I find very cool. I, I listen to all of them and I love them all, but coming from TV, I don't know what it was. I just like, maybe it's like a little bit of my OCD. I just, uh, <laughs> I wanted something with structure. So I wanted the episodes to be tight under an hour to hit on training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, really get that information out. And then I wanted then to be able to look back at the end of a season and see what kind of parallels we could draw. And so you mentioned the kind of the mental game capstone episode there with Lore Sabarin, um, where we looked back at all of the mental game chapters of season two, 10 episodes, 
And we discussed were there common threads or themes between all these disparate athletes talking about where they struggle and where they excel in mental game. So, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of had this theory that it would find an audience. And unfortunately, it has. And I'm really grateful that it has. I'm, I'm having a blast doing it. Well, it's it's very entertaining. It's very informative. As I said, it's very inspiring. And I, I want to tell everyone about sort of a way that we connected in that. Well, there's actually two ways we sort of connected, but I'll get to the second one later. But the first one, which I thought was so freaking smart of you. So everyone who listens to podcasts usually will hear the host at the end say, hey, please rate and review. It really helps me out. Sometimes you remember to do it. Sometimes you don't. So Ryan says, hey, write a review. And if you do, take a screenshot of it and email it to me. And I'm going to send you a sticker. Now, I am a nearly 50-year-old man. And I was like, I really want a sticker. (laughs) So I did that. And sure enough, Ryan sent me a sticker, which is on the back of my laptop right now. But it's such a smart like thing to like really get someone to take action and it totally worked. I love that. Well, thank you. I'm glad it did. And and uh yeah, I send out a handful of stickers every week, which is which I'm always happy to do. It's a small investment of time and money. And for those who understand kind of how these things work, those reviews and those ratings are really critical to getting discovered and to when people do discover you to give you the time of day as i'm sure most people are familiar with how products are rated if they shop on amazon for example or something like that they're gonna or or a business is rated on etsy or on ebay if somebody's got a really junky rating you're probably not gonna give them a shot you're probably not gonna spend a lot of time on their site and that's a way for me to i'm not i'm not asking for a five-star rating and you'll get a sticker i just say rate and review i mean people can rate and review honestly but sometimes it does take that extra little incentive because we're all busy and we don't often think like oh let me take some time to go over and right. and rate this so yeah a little extra nudge a little incentive for people to do that and it has it has helped it's and it's something that i continue to try to foster because it really does make a difference. Whatever the algorithm is on Apple or Spotify or whatever, like you, you kind of have to appease the algorithm and, right. and you can do that by getting engagements on your page. So that's great. So if you're listening to this and you like it, please rate and review and Ryan will send you a sticker. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Happy to. And since I have probably what is the opposite of OCD, and so I'll forget this if I don't say it. So the other way we're connected is a couple of years ago now, uh, Kristen Bell was on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine, and Ryan, you were uh, one of the subjects who was interviewed in the article about this company that you guys had put together, This Saves Lives. You want to talk a little bit about that, and then we'll we'll get back to the rocks? No, sure. I'd love to. I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Yeah, so back in my acting days, and I, st- I, I say that past tense, I still act every once in a while, but for the most part, I'm He's pretending in... to be nice to me, so uh, he's he's obviously very good <laughs> at it. I'm always acting. I'm just not always getting paid for it. Uh, yeah, Kristen and I did a TV show together a long time ago called Veronica Mars, where, surprise, surprise, I played a bad guy. I played a serial rapist, and she was the good guy. She's Veronica Mars. And so she and I had this big kind of holmes Mori kind of thing going throughout the season. And it, it all culminated in me and her getting into this massive fight and she electrocutes me and I punch her and it was real good, good fun, good, clean fun. <laughs> and, but through that, we formed a really strong friendship and 
uh, we both had a heart for service. And so I had taken a trip to Liberia with another actor friend of mine, a humanitarian trip. And while we were there, we saw the need for emergency food aid. We saw kids who were suffering from severe acute malnutrition. And when we came back, started having conversations with friends, including Kristen, and we decided to launch a give back company which is now called This Saves Lives, and it's food for food. So for every product sold, we give life-saving nutrition and meals to kids in need, both internationally and domestically here in the U.S. And for a couple of years, I ran that company as CEO. Then I transitioned to the director of the board. And now I'm kind of have been pulled back into it as we were just acquired by a great company called Good, Good Worldwide and Upworthy. Those who are probably familiar with Upworthy, they they post the best of humanity online. And Kristen is heavily involved as a co-founder as well. And so anyway, we make really delicious like snack bars, kids bars that are school safe, nut-free, gluten-free, dairy-free. We make oatmeal and granola. You can find us. And we were, uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, we were in every single Starbucks in the country. Um, We're in all the Kroger banners, a lot of Whole Foods regions and you can kind of find us everywhere, including online and and that kind of thing. And so for every product sold, we're we're getting food aid to kids who need it around the world. And I learned a lot uh, running that company as CEO. I made a lot of mistakes, but I also hit a lot of home runs. And the company's now thriving really tough during the pandemic when a lot of our uh, accounts shut down, like Starbucks, for example, you know, when 15,000 locations shut their doors for a long amount of time, that tends to take a pretty big hit on your sales and commodity prices went through the roof and oats went up 400% and these kinds of things. So it's a totally different side of my life than rock climbing and doing a rock climbing podcast. But I find it, I'm always most comfortable when I have a lot of irons in the fire so that my ego or my self-worth or my ability to take care of my family isn't exposed. I've kind of hedged my bets in a sense. And so I've, I've got such a big heart and love for This Saves Lives and the team there. And Kristen and I work well together on that. And I remember that photo shoot that we did for Entrepreneur. It was actually on set of Veronica Mars, the Veronica Mars reboot, which Kristen was filming and I, and I was there as well. And so we were just on the sound stages and stepped aside, you know, kind of in between scenes and and did a photo shoot for it. It was a, a wonderful time. And I thought a very well done article. I was incredibly proud and grateful to be part of it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that that's all, all incredible. Can you, for people who haven't maybe seen it in the store, can you tell us the, the website again? Just uh, people want to check it out. Absolutely. Yeah. It's thissaveslives.com. Uh, that's where you can subscribe. You can check out all of our products. And then on like all the socials, it's at this bar. We used to be called This Bar Saves Lives. And then we started doing other products. And we we're like, well, we got to drop the bar. So now we're we're still This Bar on like Instagram, for example. But the website's thissaveslives.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, speaking of, of dropping, rock climbing is scary. It involves yeah. um, gravity and not always being able to cling to the side of the cliff. What between that and acting, which I'm told is kind of a hard business to get into, <laughs> right? What you, you you seem to gravitate towards things that maybe aren't like turnkey. Yeah, I think I do. And that's that's always been my personality. I started my first business when I was in third grade and have started businesses, again, some that have succeeded and some that have flamed out spectacularly my entire life. And I've just always been drawn to that. And I'm sure a lot of the people who are listening right now, that that may resonate with you. And for me, 
It's interesting, rock climbing came as a direct result of starting This Saves Lives. I was so engaged in This Saves Lives and and so kind of consumed by it that when I would go to the gym, for example, to try to blow off some steam and I'd run on a treadmill, I would still be thinking about the price of pistachios or the font that I wanted to use on the website or a purchase order that was coming in or cash flow for the upcoming month and these kinds of things. And I couldn't escape the mind, right? The kind of that ruminating mind. And then one day I popped into a rock climbing gym that was right next door to the other gym, the regular gym I was going to, and just asked them if I could try it out. And they said, yes. And so I started rock climbing, just bouldering. And I imagine many listeners, wherever you are now with the the rate at which this sport is growing, you could pop into a rock climbing gym pretty easily. And it's the first time in like six months, I wasn't thinking about work. I wasn't thinking about this saves lives because when you are- consumed by a fear of falling that is a meditative state that puts you into the flow state and you can't be thinking about freaking cash flows or (laughs) spreadsheets when you're 15 feet up and you don't want to deck in a weird way and so a love of climbing was born just kind of almost as a direct antidote for the stresses of like kind of the corporate world and and now it's become its own thing and and you know a, not only a hobby but a little bit of a kind of a side hustle for me and has taken on much more meaning than just that initial meaning but i would encourage everybody to get out and climb something it's what think about when you were a kid and you would climb trees or how cool it was to climb a ladder there's rock climbing gyms with padded floors and or ropes yeah and you can just go out and climb and and it, it's not as scary as maybe dan's making it out to sound <laughs> <laughs> well that i mean it's So my experience with it, you know, as I said, I'm nearly 50 years old, but I still oddly continue to be influenced by what I see on TV and say, I want to try that too. So, you know, I'm one of these people who watches uh, free solo and I have no intention of, of doing that, but I'm like, that sounds, that seems pretty cool. And so I go to a rock gym for the first time. And different from other kinds of exercising where, I don't know, you're doing curls or sit-ups and you're starting to get tired and you're like, "Ah, I just want to stop. You kind of can't stop when you're like 30 feet off the ground. Like you got to finish this off. So I I kind of liked that part of it. And and the fear part, as you said, it's meditative. That's all you could think about. I remember the first wall that I climbed up on an auto belay. I'm at the top of this thing. I feel like I'm at the top of El Capitan. And then I'm like, you know, scrambling back down. I'm like shaking. And, you know, one of the guys at the gym was like, hey, did you like that? And I'm like, yeah, that was amazing. And he's like, yeah, the kids love that one. That's the one we take the kids on the birthday parties on. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like wow, I'm pretty sad. But I, no, I but it's it. but but that experience is is kind of at the heart of my podcast, the Struggle Climbing Show, because climbing has this unique and very special ability to scale, and you were trying as hard as you could on maybe a you know what some people would call a warm up, just as Alex Honnold, the subject of Free Solo, of course tries as hard as he can on something that I'll never be able to climb. But the effort is the same, as is the reward, the flow, the stoke, the support. And so my podcast kind of enters through this lens of struggle. So I ask every athlete, these are the best climbers in the world. And I say, where do you struggle in your training? Where do you struggle with your mental game? And so Alex Honnold, the subject of Free Solo, who climbed 2,000 feet of El Capitan granite in a couple of hours without a rope, talks about fear of falling. 
and fear of failure. And I have fear of falling and I have fear of failure as well. We climb at far vastly different levels, but we can relate over that just as you can relate to Alex Honnold in that same way. And I think climbing is is quite special with that regard. Yeah. The other, the, and, and you break down nutrition, as you said, uh, the thing that always makes me laugh is, you know, a lot of these athletes, for them, their struggle with nutrition is, I have to remember to eat enough to fuel me. And so, <laughs> Ryan, I just want to ask, what if I remember to eat all the time? Like, if I never forget to eat? That's my struggle. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, I think I think that's a far more common struggle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe one of the biggest differentiators between the elite athletes that I talk to and the amateur athletes that listen is that uh, in the nutrition chapter there, the struggles are a little bit different. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm my greatest love in the world as well as my greatest nemesis are donuts, and <laughs> I just like it's just a relationship. It's an abusive relationship that I'm just, I've accepted into my life. But you know, that's the beauty of not having to climb to the top of something in order to pay the bills. That's one of the beauties of being an amateur climber is that, right. you know what? I can house as many friggin' donuts as I want because <laughs> my livelihood doesn't depend on it. Right. So then it just becomes a mind over matter situation. And sometimes the mind wins and sometimes the matter wins. That's awesome. So if we could talk a little bit about just the the business of your podcast. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, anyone can start a podcast. A lot of people do start a podcast. A lot of people drop them after they realize the third episode. Wow, this is a little bit more hard. This is a little harder than I thought it was going to be. But what lessons have you learned along the way about getting in a groove of recording, trying to find sponsorship? I mean, you've you've got You've got a pretty big deal podcast, but from the beginnings, like what, what have you learned along the way that you could maybe pass along as advice to people struggling with the microphone? Yeah, absolutely. I think that because the barrier to entry is so low and anyone can do it, like you said, the, the, the quit rate or the failure rate, however you want to define it, is pretty high. People will try it. Maybe it won't immediately catch the audience that they want or won't result in the traffic that they want either to their business or a product that they're selling or they're trying to go after advertising revenue and that kind of thing. But what I'll say is that one of the the, the other side of that coin is that without a huge upfront investment, you can launch something and see if it works. You can kind of fail fast in the Silicon Valley sense of it and make adjustments as you go. And that's something that I did pretty quickly is I didn't want to over bake it. I didn't want to overproduce it. I wanted to get it out there and then make tweaks as I went. One of the things that helped me out maybe the most in the earliest days is I talked with a bunch of people who were doing good podcasts. And so just through friends, Kristen's husband, Dax Shepard does Armchair Expert, which is probably one of the most successful podcasts in history. I, I've heard. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I know others who were doing really well-produced good stuff on a much smaller level. And I just had great conversations with them and, and basically asked the same question that you just asked, you know, some key learnings because, you know, I could have spent hours researching how to record my conversations with good quality audio remotely, or I could have just talked to a few people who were doing it. Yeah. And I found a lot of, I went to YouTube university and I, you know, I watched a lot of videos on how to, uh, do a workflow for a podcast, how to just organize like my Dropbox folders for each episode, editing platforms, these kinds of things. You know, if you're interested in it, you just dive in and, and you start to do your own research and then you launch. One of the practical tips I'll give here 
and everybody's going to have their own system, but I edit using a program called Descript, mm. D-E-S-C-R-I-C-P-T. And what that does, and I'm not affiliated with them in any way, but it works very well for the way my mind thinks, is what that does is it takes the audio and converts it to a script, word format, and you edit using that. So like if I'm having a conversation with Alex Honnold and he goes on some crazy tangent about something that isn't relevant to the chapter, or he says, oh, hold on a second, I've got to fix my headphones. I just highlight that sentence and I delete it and it deletes it from the audio. So you don't have to learn audio editing and how to do crossfades and waveform and all that. You just like it's just like you're editing a Word doc. So for people, and by the way, Descript works for video too, video editing. So mm-hmm. for people who might be intimidated by the editing, they might say, oh, I have a great idea. I could record some things at my shop or at my school or a hobby that I love, but then I don't know what to do after that. You could check out that program and maybe that lowers the, the kind of the paralysis factor of, yeah. of trying to get into something new. Because post-production is kind of the most complicated part of podcasting, I think. Everything else is is pretty easy. Yeah, no, that that's amazing advice. I haven't done that, but I've been told to do that by many people who do podcasts. And I tinkered around a little bit with it, and it, it does seem like a great way to do it. I'm just too... As I said, I don't have OCD, and then I forget four seconds later that someone said, you should try to do that. So I uh, I forget <laughs> to do it. But that's great advice. Well, you put together a fantastic podcast, so whatever you're doing is working too. And that's another thing, which is like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, if if you feel like you can optimize your editing, then check something like that out. But if you can use GarageBand or any number of the other kind of audition or post-production type programs out there and and your brain works that way and that works for you, then that's awesome. Well, thank you. I'm going to put that on a loop. You do a great podcast. You do a great podcast. There you go. Affirmations. There you go. So, I mean, I know because, you know, as we were scheduling this, there was a couple of of days where like conditions were great for climbing and and you were going to go on a, a trip. So you're doing a lot of stuff is my point. You're recording this, your work with This Saves Lives, talking to people like me and doing other things. So do you have sort of any method to your madness of keeping all this madness in check and and keeping yourself on some kind of schedule that you can keep track of all this stuff? Yes and no. So I've had different systems that have kind of come in and out of vogue for me over the years. And it is a little schizophrenic how many projects, jobs, side hustles, focuses, hobbies, whatever you want to kind of however many buckets you want to name. Like it is a little much, uh, my wife will attest, but it's just like, I'm most comfortable when I've got a little much going on. Right. I actually, when we we moved, I live in Kentucky now in Louisville. When we moved here from Los Angeles about five years ago, I decided to step away from acting and also step largely away from This Saves Lives and just like fully jump into dad role. Mm. And I was like making homemade breads and planning meals and doing like cool stuff around the house and all that. And that lasted about six months. And then I started a forest preschool because I saw that my kid wasn't going outside enough during rainy days at his preschool. And it's grown into the most successful outdoor preschool in the state of Kentucky. It's called Thrive Forest School. So I'm just like, it is a a terminal illness that I have where I'm just like (laughs) constantly starting things. So to get back to your question... Two systems that have worked well for me in trying to keep my days straight, and this is whether I'm working on one project or five, 
is that before bed, I have a stack of note cards. This isn't like some, I don't know, who came up with this Covey or something like that, or like, you know, in the seven habits. In any regard, I, I have a stack of note cards, physical note cards on my nightstand. And before I go to bed, I write down the three things that I need to do the next day. Hmm. And I write them in ink on a note. I don't make a note in my iPhone or whatever. Yeah. Like I have a card. And so when I wake up, I take that card and I stick it in my pocket and I carry that card around with me. And when I do those three things, I just, I check them off as I go. Now there's 50 things I need to do in any day, but you can't write down 50 things. You need, yeah. You're not going to write down, eat cereal, exercise, whatever. You write down <laughs> the three most critical things that yeah. you need to do so that before your head hits the pillow that night, you've done those things and they're big things. And sometimes it's a work thing. Sometimes it's like prepare taxes or whatever. Sometimes, you know, it's a life thing. Get yeah. my son's applications in for summer camp, whatever it is that's going to make me feel like that day was a success with regards to kind of like the work I needed to do. So I write those down. And I keep in my pocket. The other thing that I've been doing more recently, because I do have a lot going on is actually scheduling my days. And this has been like, I'm just experimenting with this right now. I've only been doing it for a short period of time. So I'll have to report back later, but essentially I'll block out my day from like nine or nine thirty, depending on when I drop the kids off at school to 5 PM or whenever, you know, we're going to kind of call it a day. And I create blocks. I create like two hours, nine to 11 edit next podcast, 11 to 1130, check emails, personal 1130 to 12, check emails for the struggle 12 to 1230 eat whatever. And like, I'm actually like scheduling it out as if I'm like a school kid or right. whatever. And that's been really helpful because it's given me permission to not jump between things. And, and I'm sure as you and many of the listeners know, we're wildly inefficient when we multitask. There's no such right. thing. Multitasking is a fallacy. And so it takes time. Every time we switch between one focus and another, it eats up time in that transition. So now I have permission. Okay, from 9 to 11, I'm editing. I'm not thinking about checking my Instagram or checking my email. I've got my phone on, do not disturb. Like I'm putting in two solid hours editing. As soon as that two two hours is done, boom, I move on to the next thing. Right. And that's actually helped me too. Again, it's a little bit early in the experimental phase, but I've found that the more I have going on when I schedule my day out like that, it helps me to not be so super inefficient kind of toggling between all of the things that are demanding my attention. That's awesome. And I, to your first tip, I'm a big fan of the right things down and then the satisfaction of with a pen crossing them out. Hell yeah. Uh, that's, that's the best. Such a good feeling. Yeah. And to your point about the phone too, another, another great thing about climbing folks, you can't check your email when you're uh, dangling off of something. <laughs> you, uh, it's, it's very hard to do. So again, it just gives you that focus. Well, Ryan, you are a very uh, busy man, so I'm not going to keep you much longer here, but I just want to Thanks for all the the tips that you've given. And also, as a listener, thank you for the hours of information and entertainment. Really just a big fan of your show. Oh, man, that means the world to me, truly, as I as I just hustle away here in the utility closet. So thank you for saying that, Dan. And, and also, just a real pleasure to join you on the show here. Thank you for what you're putting out. You're putting out really entertaining, engaging content with fantastic guests. And it's a real honor to be on the show. And we got to get you out here to the Red River Gorge and get you dangling off one of <laughs> yeah. these steep, steep rides out here. I'm very good at falling, so that would be fantastic. And then one last note, just where can people follow all the great stuff you're up to? 
Well, thank you. Yeah. So for the show, it's called The Struggle Climbing Show, and you can find that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. And on Instagram, it's at The Struggle Climbing Show. So I post a lot of fun videos there as well as some audio clips, and, and there's links to all of the episodes right through that. As you know, and as Dan was was kind enough to plug, if you would be so kind as to rate and review the podcast wherever you listen, I will send you a sticker. And uh, my personal Instagram, which I'm not super consistent with, but I'm I'm on there every once in a while, is at Ryan Devlin Outside. And um, there's some acting stuff on there. There's some this bar stuff on there. And every random once in a while, there's some climbing stuff on there. And then, of course, we already talked about this saves lives. And so everybody can check that out at thissiveslives.com. Awesome. Well, Ryan, you must be a really good actor because it's it's hard to imagine you uh, murdering people. You're up to a lot of good <laughs> things. So, so on the behalf of humanity, keep that. Let's not get into the murder part. Let's stay let's stay what you're doing now. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And my wife and my mom would agree with that sentiment. <laughs> All right, awesome. That's our episode, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Get a Real Job comes out every Tuesday. So be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you harvest your favorite podcasts. Leave us a review. Give us a share. Don't make me beg people. Go to entrepreneur.com for new episodes of this and to listen to our other great podcasts. Thanks. Thanks.